So we come to that time in the service where you're all expecting me to speak, and I, I will. <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise. But, but you know what? I want to actually start with you speaking rather than with me speaking. And uh, I want to ask you a, a question this morning, and I'd like for you just to be able to share a little bit uh, with the persons next to you what, as much as you're comfortable. But imagine that Jesus was in the home renovation business, and... Uh, and he's uh, appearing on HGTV, and he's coming to your house, and he wants to do some rentals. And what would you, if he did come to your house today, your physical home, what is it that you would like him to do on your house? Okay? So you might have a picture of what that is right away. Share that. If not, maybe think about it. But So Jesus is coming to your house. He was a carpenter, still is, in different ways. What would you like him to do on your house? So just take a couple minutes to share that, okay? Okay, so you, you're, and you can still continue to talk about that, but I have a second question for you. And so if Jesus came in and you had your requests, but he came into your house, what do you think he would want done? And would it be any different than what you want done? Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. Just discuss that as well. Would the work that Jesus wants to do on your house be different from the work that you want done. Just talk about that for a second. Okay, another 30 seconds or so. So thanks for participating in that with me. And some of you might see where I'm going with this, but imagine yourself as a living house and, and God's coming in to do some renovations. And, uh, and at first, you know, he begins to, to do things like, you know, fix the, the leaky drain or or patch up that little spot on the roof that's been not been working so well. And it kind of makes sense. You, you, you kind of expected that he would do these things, and you're, and you're grateful because they really needed doing, and they, they just haven't been done for a while. But it, it, it makes sense to you. And, but then Jesus starts doing some other stuff in the house that kind of hurts, and you're, you're kind of like, what's going on here? Like, why are you doing that? And... I was reading a little excerpt from a fellow by the name of C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis says this. He says, here's the explanation. He says, you know, God's come not to uh, tidy up and, uh, and spruce up a little cottage, but he's actually come to build a castle. He's come to build a place where he himself can reside. And God, in his greatness, as we sang this morning, it's the expanse of his love, the beauty and and the power of God needs a big, big place to reside. And God's vision for our lives is, is so much bigger than what we could ever ask or imagine. Actually, the, one of the writers in the Bible says this. He says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. God's interested in building a castle. And uh, I don't know... When I, one of the things that comes to my mind when I think of cans, uh, or, or cans, <laughs> castles is uh, the movie The Prince's Bride. And do you remember this little short little guy? Inconceivable! It's a great little movie. But this is what God has in mind. What he has in mind in terms of the building of our lives is inconceivable. And if you consider that God, you know, rather than moving just from a little paint on the walls and and tidying things up, wants to do this expansive building project in each of our lives. 
And when you do that kind of thing, and you're starting with a cottage, one of the things that has to happen is you have to start tearing stuff apart. And it doesn't mean that it's all gone, but in order for the expanse to happen and to, for it all to be interconnected, walls have to be moved. Floors have to be raised. And it's oftentimes, uh, if you think of the tools that are used in that, um, I was thinking, you know, you could, you could massage a two-by-four till the cows come home, but that sucker isn't going to move. And it's not to say that God isn't gentle, but there are times in our lives where in God's greatness and his goodness and his desire to expand our lives, where the tools that he used, they pry, they pull, they, they cut, and we begin to feel broken, broken on the inside. And this reading that Rosie had for us this morning, this, this reading about Dagon, this, this God of the Philistines, the, the Ark of the Covenant, it was, a, it was a symbol of God's presence among his people. And it had been captured by these Philistines, and they brought it to their temple, and they set it before their God in, in this place of submission. And then as we read the story, we find out that this God, when people come to this temple the next morning, he's boom. He's on his face. He's, they're like, this is curious. Never seen this before. Dagon's always standing straight up. What, what's this? It's weird circumstance. So they get down, they lift him up, put him back in his place. I wish I, There's something about that phrase. I'm not going to be able to get there today, but it's, it's interesting. They put him back in his place. Anyways, and then the very next morning they come to the temple, and what do they see? Bang. Dagon has fallen down, face forward, head broken off, arms broken off. And there probably is a part where God's saying, this is your rightful place, Dagon. There, are, there will be no other gods before me. But I also think it's a picture that God's, of God's grace. He says, there is nothing in this life that I will allow to stand before me and in between me and my people for my grace, my love, my power to shine forth. And God's doing that in him. And I think, you know, there are times when we come into God's presence and God ministers to us in ways that bring comfort, that bring peace, that bring rest. Many of us are familiar with what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. This, this place of comfort and of shelter. And that's definitely what God, God is up to. But then there's these other times where we come into God's presence and he wants to build something in us. He wants to move us from our little shack, our cozy little cottage maybe even. And he says, I'm going to build something magnificent. It's huge. It's inconceivable. But in order to do that, brokenness has to come. And, you know, this, this God, Dagon, that we, we saw there, um, you know, he's half fish, half man. And the fish part kind of speaks to water. And his name actually reflects the word for grain or corn in, in that language. And so Dagon is this picture, this, this idol, this symbol for them of provision, of water, bread, the very basics of life. The very, and, and God says, no, 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 it's me. And there's brokenness to display God's provision. And for me, this symbol of Dagon falling on his face 
broken hands, broken head, are symbolic for something that God's been doing in my life, that he's moving me from a, a cottage to a castle. And, uh, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. Um, the very first thing is, um, is this whole idea of provision. And this is not a sob story, it's just uh, my story. But for, uh, for many of my working years, probably at least a third, getting close to half, if, if my income was the only income in our family, there would have been many times where we were right around actually the, what the government would say is the poverty line for, for family of four. It's not a sob story, it's just my story. And, and uh, that was for a time, and I'm in a time now where things are better, where I have a much better wage, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And, and one of the things that God's been working in my life um, is giving me a vision for something that I think is coming up in the not-too-distant future, and I'd, I'd love to share it here this morning, but there's a process that I need to go through with some of the other leadership to do that, so you'll just have to kind of put that on a shelf today. But God's doing something in me that is that is maybe going to threaten some of that income. And for a time, it's been kind of weighing on me. And I've, um, I don't know how to explain it other than that. It's just this, this weight. And part of the reason is, is because, you know, I've read the good marriage books. Uh, I remember the first one that we read when we were married was called His Needs, Her Needs. And one of her needs is that the husband would be able to provide for the family. And, uh, and for many years, our family was provided for because Megan uh, consistently went to work and uh, the government paid her a pretty decent wage. And so we've never been for lack. Sometimes it's been tight, but we've never lacked. And, and the moral of the story is marry a wife that has a good job? No. <laughs> Amen. <yeah. laughs> I was just thinking, is that the only time I get a hallelujah around this place? <laughs> But, and so one of the weights that I've been carrying is like, but okay, if, if this happens and this is going to be good, but then, then maybe if the, if the finances, I don't know what's going to happen. It's just a possibility. But sometimes we kind of talked about this last week with, in terms of fear. A lot of times the what if questions are the things that weigh us down the most. So what if things change? And what if I fail in that sense to, to provide? And that becomes a, you know, for anybody, you know, husband or wife, when we need to provide these certain things, it becomes a heavy weight for us to carry. And, and one of the things that God was saying, so if you can picture Dagon and he falls down his face, but his arms are broken. And for me, that is a symbol of that provision. It's with my hands that I work. It's with, you know, it's a symbol of my strength. It's, it's how I provide. And Jesus is saying to me, you know, it's whose hands Whose hands hold the world? These hands, they're big. They're so strong. I remember one time we were just kind of using that as a tool to listen to God with the youth. And, and several of the kids said, you know, there's so much room inside of those hands. There's room for everybody. And for me, they speak of, of hands that, that provide for us. And one of the things that God's been doing in my life is... is Okay, whose hands are the ones that are going to provide for you, Dave? And I don't want to jump too far forward, but you know, there's a, there's a liberation in that. There's a freedom in that when you say it's, it's not all up to me. And that doesn't mean to say now it's all up to me again. He said it's coming from the hand of the Father and to be able to trust in that. 
Another thing for me is, you know, Dagon, when he falls, his head is knocked off. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but, you know, I come up with some pretty good plans. I, I can see the future unfolding before me, and here's how it's going to happen. And then life gets in the way, and suddenly those plans all change. And, you know, I've experienced that in my life where, um, where one time in particular where, where my, it was tied to my work, and my work situation was going to change, and part of that was outside of my control. And it's not a sob story, it's just my story. And one of the things that began to happen in me at that time is that I was very broken through that because so much of my identity, so much of who I was, was wrapped up in my work. And it, I began to question all sorts of things. Myself, my abilities, my spirituality. God, am I not good enough to do this anymore? And and I went into a pretty, pretty dark place for a while. I always had a smile on my face. Many people wouldn't know. Unfortunately, even Megan didn't know. One of the things that I will never forget is that years later, when we kind of started going back into that past, and I started to share what had happened for me. And I regret to say that Megan said, you never told me. And much of that brokenness, I'm sure, would have been healed even just in the speaking it out. And so now I can look in hindsight, and there are two things that stand out to me. One is, you know, God used that as an opportunity to lead me into another place. And for that, I am grateful. I can tell you I was not grateful on the, on the dark side of that. But in hindsight, I can see that God was shaking me up he was allowing brokenness to occur. Not that he was necessarily behind it, but he allowed it. And he allowed it so that I could move into a new life. And I'm grateful for that. In Jeremiah, it says this. Many of you will know this verse. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I think, you know, ultimately, each of these things, I think for men particularly, but probably for men and women, that ultimately what it comes down to is pride. And when I see Dagon falling on his face in the presence of God, something is broken, not just the head, not just the arms, but inside, in the heart. Um, for, unfortunately, probably none of our young people will know, but for some of you who are older, you might remember the name Chuck Colson. And I, he actually just passed away yesterday. And, um, and I was just reading a little bit of his biography and uh, just by way, a little bit of history, Chuck Coulson was a fellow that worked with the President of the United States. He worked with President Nixon. And, uh, and to, to read his story, you would learn that he was uh, very much into dirty tricks, kind of dirty politics. Whatever it takes for my guy to be on top, that's what I'm going to do. And he got caught up in this thing called Watergate. It was a government scandal. And he actually wasn't specifically involved in the things that caused Watergate, but he was part of the environment that created the place where these kind of things could actually happen. And it was in that time where he was getting really tired, the, this, this slogging it out, this, this fighting to, to make his man on top was just breaking him. And so Nixon, or sorry, Colson uh, was visiting with a friend and his friend actually had just come to know Jesus as his personal savior. And so he began to share that with Chuck. And he came 
And he shared this phrase uh, from, from, again, from a fellow named C.S. Lewis, the person that wrote the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Some of you guys have seen those movies or read the books. And he's talking, what he says is the greatest sin. And he says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And that phrase really captured Chuck Colson's heart. And his friend said, do you want to pray? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure. And he didn't really know what to do. And he, left, he soon left his friend's house, but he went out into the car and he just, when he was able to let down his guard, he just began to weep. And he said, I got to go back in and pray. So, but he went, by the time he went to the door, his friend was already in bed. <laughs> so, but as Colson tells the story, he just pulled off to the side of the road, a broken man, and received, he surrendered himself to God. And his life was, was changed from that point. He eventually went on to actually uh, give himself up to, uh, to the courts. He didn't have anything specific to confess, so he just said, I kind of encouraged these kind of things to happen. I should go to jail. And because of the political climate, they said, yes, we want to get somebody in there. You're off. And he actually went to jail for, he was sentenced for one to three years. I think he spent seven months there. But while he was in prison, not only was he a broken man, but he began to see what life in prison was like. And the beauty of his life is that Chuck Colson started something called Prison Fellowship, which is all throughout North America and different prisons, but in many countries throughout the world. And I guess what I, I just wanted to share, it just seemed to me poignant for what God was doing in my life where, you know, he said, you know, the, the man that's always looking down has no opportunity to see what is above. This, the sense of who God is is lost in pride. And God broke open Chuck Colson's house. He says, Chuck, you've been living in this a very dark little cottage. And I've got this castle of, of freedom, of light, of true purpose, of world change. He's done more in the lives of all these prisoners than he ever would have done in his government office, even though he still participated in public life. So why all this talk about brokenness? One of the things that, for me, on Thursday of this week, we had uh, a time of soaking prayer. And this was the time where my little Dagon moment happened, where God was just leading me to this place to say, Dave, I'm going to break out, and it's going to be okay. And I have no way of describing it other than to say that I cried like I haven't for a long time, and I had so much joy like I haven't experienced in a long time. And it's a very strange mix to have that, to have tears. But, you know, sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. As we sang, it's, it's part of the scriptures. And Jesus says much to the same to his disciples. He says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Jesus is talking about his death, his coming death. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy. 
that a child is born into the world. And so it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Jesus at another time said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. But the fullness of that life comes through the breaking down of the walls that are in our lives and expanding in ways that we can never ask or imagine, ways that are inconceivable. And I think uh, I'd just like to, to share a video with you now and it's, a, it's about a woman named Lisa Luby Ryan. And uh, you've heard a little bit of talk about I Am Second. Uh, Gary spoke about it. Um, it's something that Jean-Francois and others, uh, many others have been involved in here. And she gives a little talk in an I Am Second video. And Lisa was abused by her alcoholic father. Her mother would actually cheat on her husband, and the kids would see it, and they were told to lie and to just to live a lie around that because she didn't want it to be spoken. And she was hurt in many different ways in her life. And, uh, but she began to find new life in Christ. And she began to dig, dig, dig deep into some of those hurts. And, uh, and we pick up her story where she's been able to do that with some deliverance ministry, some prayer counseling with someone. And, uh, and so we're going to show that now. Soaking prayer on, on Thursday, there was a song, and it was called Sweetly Broken. And, uh, you know, I talked about hammers and saws and busting open of walls, and, and things can be very hard. But in the hands of God, there is a brokenness that is so sweet. And... Uh, and what she said there, the sky was blue, the grass was greener, the birds sang, and it was as if I walked into a whole new world. I was now capable of being the person that he had created me to be. And I think, if nothing else, that we would see this morning that in all of our brokenness, God wants to lead us through that this brokenness from the past or something that he's leading us into in the present. And it is a gateway. It is a renovation from the inside out that would expand our lives, not diminish it. And when we come to communion as we will now this morning, we remember Jesus' words, this is my body which is broken for you. Take it in remembrance of me. And Jesus would invite us to say, you know, I was thinking of this, all of us will be broken at one point, particularly as we get older. So if it hasn't happened yet, it will happen. And, and when Jesus was on the cross and his relationship with the Father was broken, but it had to be that way so that ours could be restored. And as he, when he shouted out, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's, Jesus is doing that so that we don't have to make that same cry. My brain, my brain, why have you forsaken me? I had such good plans. And it just couldn't come up together. 
You're my hands, my hands. Why have you forsaken me? I can no longer do the work that I used to do. My, my pride, my, my abilities, they all crumble and fall. We will all meet that day when they no longer, they will no longer stand. And Paul says in Philippians, he says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus wants to invite us and he says, be broken now. I have been broken for you that you can find healing, that you can find life. Just participate in the brokenness. Do it now because there's a whole new life ahead of you. Why wait? So receive that invitation as we come to the table. Receive God's brokenness for you that we might not, that we might receive the life that comes through brokenness for each one of us.